Open your Bibles, if you would, to Isaiah, the fifth chapter. Isaiah chapter 5. As you're turning there, I just want to take a couple moments just to thank again uh, the brethren for allowing me to be gone last week and to um, be enriched by my time away and engaged in Bible study. And uh, I mentioned that it was exhausting. I don't want you to get the wrong impression. Uh, it was exhausting, but refreshing at the same time. And uh, I'd have it no other way. If we're going to be together, let's, let's get the most out of our time together. And that's what we did. I uh, appreciate um, that time away. And uh, appreciate Devin again for his efforts and filling in for me. And uh, I also heard that David did a very good job on Wednesday night with the exhortation and the, and the invitation. And, and uh, I'm glad for David's humble spirit that he didn't thank himself while he was thanking uh, Devin for, for filling in. That would that would have not been of humble spirit. So I appreciate that about you. And uh, but I wanted to take a moment to to thank David for for filling in or not filling in, but for for taking that opportunity to, to present uh, some thoughts from, from God's Word there on Wednesday night. So thank you all very much, and uh, appreciate the, the prayers on my behalf. It's good to be amongst you again. I wanted to uh, spend a few moments this morning um, talking about, really about God's nature. We'll, st- we'll start there, and we'll, we'll develop this in, into something other than that, but... God's nature doesn't change. In Hebrews 13, 8, it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today, yes, and forever. And our God has been fully revealed to us in Jesus Christ. We understand that from Hebrews chapter 1, and verse 3. It says that he is the exact representation of his, that is God's nature. So it is comforting for us to know that the God we serve is unchanging. To use a modern illustration to, to, to demonstrate this is, you talk about, you ever heard someone say the goalpost is always moving? You never really know what, what the goal is? It's not true with God. He's unchanging. And we know from his word exactly what he expects of us. There is no changing. There is no moving of those goalposts. We know exactly what God expects from us. And that is both comforting, and it's also a harsh reality. The harsh reality sets in when we realize that God punishes the disobedient. We know from passages like 2 Thessalonians 1, verses 7 and 8, that there's going to be eternal consequences for those who do not obey Him. Those passages read that, When the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. This gives us a picture of what is to come on the day of judgment. But that's in the future. As humans, it's easy for us to be dismissive about things that are are, are far off as we might perceive them. We're very much out of sight, out of mind kind of beings. And that's why it's good to remind ourselves how God has dealt with sin in the past. 
And since we know that he is unchanging, as we have just established there from Hebrews chapter 13 and from verse 8, we can be assured that his attitude on sin has not and will not change. So I'd like for us to consider a chapter here from the Old Testament here in Isaiah 5 and look at what the prophet tells his audience in the, pre- in the present when he's writing these things, when he's prophesying these things. And look at that and gain some understanding what that means to us as we live today. So if you're there in Isaiah 5, let's begin by looking at verses 1 and 2. It says, Let me sing now for my well-beloved a song of my well-beloved concerning his vineyard. My well-beloved had a vineyard on a fertile hill, and he dug all around it, removed its stones, and planted it with the choicest vines. And he built a tower in the middle of it. He hewed out a wine vat in it. Then he expected it to produce good grapes, but it produced only worthless ones. We begin here in chapter 5 with a description of a vineyard. The owner of this vineyard has gone to great lengths to make sure that it has everything necessary that it needs to produce good grapes, to be productive. And having done all this, he expects those good grapes to be produced. But what does it say there at the end of verse 2? But it produced only worthless ones. We go down to verse 7, we get an understanding of what this vineyard is, what he's talking about. Verse 7, it says, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah, his delightful plant. God has delivered on his promise to Israel to give them a land flowing with milk and honey. And to bless them as a people, as the men of Judah. And provide for them everything that they could have needed. And all he asked in return was them to remain faithful to him. To be just and righteous. But we know that they couldn't do that. The second part of verse 7 says, Thus he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, a cry of distress. They would not, uh, they would not be faithful to him. Though he had provided all the things that they needed to be productive, to be fruitful. They wouldn't remain faithful to to him, and they were going to be punished for their wickedness. Go back to verse 3. It says, And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there for me to do in my vineyard that I have not done in it? Why, when I expected to produce good grapes, did it produce worthless ones? So now let me tell you what I am going to do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it will be consumed. I will break down its wall, and it will become trampled ground. And I will lay it to waste. It will not be pruned or hoed, but briars and thorns will come up. I will also charge the clouds to rain on it no more. He's going to lay waste to that vineyard. He's going to take away all the provisions that he had set there, all the things necessary for the children of Israel, the men of Judah, to produce good grapes. He tells them in verse 3 that they're going to have to choose. They're going to have to make a decision. 
They're going to have to choose between him and what he has provided for him, for, for them. It says, now, in verse 3, now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem, men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. In other words, he tells them they're going to have to make a choice. Are they going to choose to live in faith? Are they going to choose the earthly things? Because even the things that the Lord provides here on earth are temporal. Even though this vineyard, God had set up for them and provided all the things that they needed. He says, I'm going to lay waste to that. You're going to be left in destruction, or you're going to be left in faith if you choose to follow after me. Only the Lord is enduring. Only the Lord is unchanging. Only the Lord is everlasting. Things of this world are temporal. The things of this world can be taken away, even if they are provided to us from God himself. The things of this world are passing. So there's a pronouncement of sin. He's going to charge them with the things that they have been doing wrong. He's going to tell them why it is that, that he's about to lay waste to this vineyard. One of those reasons is because of their greed, because of their excess. Pick up our reading in verse 8. Woe to those who add house to house and join field to field until there is no more room, so that you have, uh, so that you have to live alone in the midst of the land. In my ears, the Lord of hosts has sworn, surely many houses shall become desolate, even great and fine ones without occupants. For ten acres of vineyard will yield only a bath of wine, and a homer of seed will yield only an ephah of grain. Woe to those who rise early in the morning, that they may pursue strong drink, who stay up late in the evening, that wine may inflame them. And their banquets are accompanied by the lyre and the harp, by tambourine and flute, and by wine. But they do not pay, pay attention to the deeds of the Lord, nor do they consider the work of his hands. They were guilty of greed. They were guilty of pursuing after riches, house upon house and land upon land. They were guilty of drinking parties and entertaining themselves at these banquets inflamed by wine, by strong drink. They pile up this land and these houses for themselves. They have these parties, but they had forgotten what God had done for them. They had forgotten that he was the one that blessed them with all the things that they had in the land. But it hadn't gone unnoticed by God. He saw them turning away from him. And he was not going to put up with it much longer. Look over in chapter 6. Verse 11 and 12. It says, Then I said, How long, Lord? And he answered, Until cities are devastated and without habitation, houses are without people, and the land is utterly desolate. The Lord has removed men far away, and forsaken places are, are many in the midst of the land. There's coming a time when destruction was going to befall Jerusalem. It was only so long that God was going to put up with their sin. And it's not hard for us to put ourselves in these times and look around us and see greed and excess. It's not very hard at all, is it? To see people engaged in drinking parties, inflamed by wine and strong drink. 
forgetting the blessings that come from God, reveling in their own desires, their own pleasures, things of this world. That's the current culture that we live in. Is it so different now than it was when Isaiah was writing this? Not really. The attitudes are there. Yes, the things have changed over time with technology and advancement, but greed and lust and drunkenness, those things carry out through generations. So while we see the sins here that Israel is being convicted of, it's not hard for us to see those things going on in our own lives. Understand, God only puts up with it for so long. The next thing they can be considered to to be engaged in is mocking God. Look in verse 18 with me. Verse 18 here in Isaiah 5. Woe to those who drag iniquity with the cords of falsehood and sin as if it were cart ropes, who say, let him make speed, let him hasten his work, that we may see it. And let the purpose of the Holy One of Israel draw near and come to pass that we may know it. We get the picture here of them being entangled in sin, being tied to it, to dragging it around, to be burdened with sin. Yet they're still mocking God, sneering at him. They say, let us receive redemption. Let us see what God is going to accomplish. Let us see his work. We want to see his redemption. We want to see it now. Can you imagine such an attitude? Taunting the living God? Look over in 2 Peter with me. 2 Peter chapter 3. We'll make this point and we'll keep making it. These things haven't changed. These attitudes. They haven't changed over time. Here in 2 Peter, he's dealing with some similar attitudes. Beginning in verse 3. 2 Peter 3. Know this first of all. That the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? Forever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was, de- was destroyed, being flooded with water. But the present heavens and earth by his word are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of ungodly men. Peter warns his audience, his people that he's writing to, there's going to be mockers. There are going to be people that say, where is God? Things have been just since the very very creation, very time of creation. Things have always been the same. It escapes their notice. And God destroyed the world with a flood. How many souls were saved? Remember, eight souls were saved. That escapes their notice. And this kind of mocking is still going on. Still going on. You encounter it every day. You're probably mocked when you live your life in such a way that you may assemble with the saints every Sunday morning. You may be mocked by the things that you wear and the things you don't engage in. And they say, where is God? I don't see God. Sun's going to rise tomorrow. 
But we know, and the world better take heed, that God is not mocked. Just as he warned them, just as Isaiah is writing, there's a punishment coming. He warns and punishes sinners today. He warns that there is a punishment that's going to come. We read there from 2 Thessalonians 1. There's a time coming that those who don't obey the gospel are going to be punished. God is not mocked. The third thing that we see Israel being convicted of here is corruption. Pick up our reading in verse 20 of chapter 5 of Isaiah. It says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for the darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. Woe to those who are heroes in drinking wine and valiant men in mixing strong drink, who justify the wicked for a bribe and take away the rights of the ones who are in the right. Corruption was rampant in Israel. There were terrible things that were going on. Things have been turned on their head so that much of the truth seems so far out of reach for them. They couldn't even recognize it anymore. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. There's another reference here to wine and strong drink. How many times do we need to be warned about that? Wickedness was being justified for a price. Righteousness was being taken away. Is it so very difficult for us to see this in our culture today? Those who call evil good and good evil? You don't have to take too many steps out of this building to be back in the world and realize so many things in this world are upside down. The world wants to tell us what's good. We know those things to be evil. And when they tell us that the evil and the, the dark things that they are engaged in are in fact good, God is not mocked. God knows the difference. And if we read and understand God's word, we'll know the difference. It's not very difficult for us to see this in our own culture, is it? Be warned of these things. Israel has been convicted of their sins. And there's consequences that are coming. They're going to be punished for their lack of knowledge. Go back to verse 13. It says, Therefore my people go into exile for their lack of knowledge. And their honorable men are famished, and their multitude is parched with thirst. Therefore, Sheol has enlarged its throat and opened its mouth without measure. And Jerusalem's splendor, her multitude, her den of revelry, and the jubilant within her descend into it. So the common man will be humbled, and the man of importance abased. The eyes of the proud also will be abased. But the Lord of hosts will be exalted in judgment, and the holy God will show himself holy in righteousness. And the lambs will graze as in their pasture. And the strangers will eat in the waste places of the wealthy. Israel is going to be punished because of their lack of knowledge. It says there that Sheol is going to open up its mouth and swallow all these that are going to be coming down. There was a judgment coming their way because of their lack of knowledge. They're going to be punished for their disobedience. Look in verse 24. 
says, therefore, as a tongue of fire consumes stubble and dry grass collapses in the flame, so the root will become like rot and their blossom blow away in the dust. For they have rejected the law of the Lord of hosts and despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. On this account, the anger of the Lord has burned against his people, and he has stretched out his hand against them and struck them down. And the monuments quaked, and their corpses lay like refuse in the middle of the streets. For all his anger is not spent, but his hand is still stretched out. Because of their disobedience, punishment was coming to them. A grave and terrible punishment was going to leave bodies lying in the streets. In beginning of verse 26, he tells them how he's going to punish them. We get a very clear understanding of how they were going to be punished. Read with me verse 26 beginning. And he will also, also lift up a standard to the distant nation and will whistle for it from the ends of the earth. And behold, it will come with speed swiftly. No one in it is weary or stumbles, none slumbers or sleeps, nor is the belt at the waist undone, nor is its sandal strap broken. Its arrows are sharp and all its bows are bent. The hooves of the horses seem like flint and the chariot wheels like a whirlwind. Its roaring is like a lioness and it roars like young lions. It growls as it seizes the prey and carries it off with no one to deliver it. And it shall growl over that day like the roaring of the sea. If one looks to the land, behold, there is darkness and distress. Even the light is darkened by its clouds. This is the punishment that was going to befall Israel. This is the punishment that's going to befall the men of Judah. Because they've been disobedient to God. We get the glimpse here of these nations that God's going to rise up. And it speaks there when it talks about no one is weary and no one slumbers. The, the bow is bent. The arrows are sharp. These are these valiant warriors that are going to come in and destroy the land of Israel. And take them captive, those that are left alive. The punishment is swift. It is harsh. It is unmerciful. Isaiah 5 paints a very clear picture of the consequences of sin. Charles read for us Isaiah 4, a little bit different tone. Isaiah 4 talks of a remnant that's going to be left. Those who weren't engaging in such practices as these. The very few who weren't engaged in such practices. God always provides for a remnant. God always provides a way for those who are seeking after them, after him, to find him. But for the rest, destruction. God punishes the wicked. There's only so much that he can take. And though he provided so much for them, so he, he provided so much for the children of Israel, he was willing to destroy it all because they were unfaithful to him. What's the lesson to us? One thing we can say is don't put your trust in worldly things. Don't put your trust in the vineyard. Because it's susceptible to destruction. Even the earthly things that God blesses us with, they're, they're temporary. Only God is eternal. 
The kingdom of God, which we are currently living in, has no earthly boundaries. There is no place for us to hedge around the vineyard to protect ourselves. So while we enjoy the blessings in this world, we can't put our trust in them. God told the Israelites to choose between him and his vineyard. We have the same choice. Are we going to choose the passing pleasures of sin? Or are we going to choose everlasting life? The choice is ours. It has always been ours. From the very beginning, when Eve was, Adam and Eve were told what they could and could not do in the garden, they made their choices. The children of Israel made their choices. And those who were wicked were brought low. They were punished for their iniquities. And so we will be too. If we don't remain faithful to God, we will be punished for it. So it comes down to these questions that we ask ourselves at the end of our time together. Are you, first of all, a child of God? If you're not, you're lost. You have no hope of heaven. No hope of eternal life when this life is over if you're not a child of God. If, as a child of God, are you putting your stock in the vineyard? Are you still hoping that the things of this world are going to save you from destruction? You think you can build your hedge high enough? Build the tower high enough to see the armies coming in the distance? We can't put our stock in worldly things. We lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven. The things of this world are passing. If you have needs of this congregation, if you need the prayers of this congregation, if you've sinned in a public way and need to make that right, if you're not a child of God, you need to make that right as well. We invite you to come forward as we stand and sing to encourage you.